You're listening to the HSDNA podcast from the Garden State. Your host, Justin Starbird, and guests from HS Design walk you through each step of the medical product development process. Listen in as they discuss topics like contextual research, human factor testing, and conceptualization, giving you the best practices and real examples of success in the field. And now, here's your host, Justin Starbird. Welcome back to this episode of HS DNA. My name is Justin Starbird, and today I am privileged to have again on our lovely podcast uh, academic author and editor, Dr. Mary Beth Kribatera. Welcome back, Mary Beth. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate the invitation and look forward to today's discussion. Yeah, no, me too. Um, it's always wonderful to uh, talk to you, get to know more about what's going on uh, in the world of human factors and how you approach design and and just the, the different musings that you have going on each and every time that we speak. And today is no different. Uh, you actually just had a book come out. Um, and so, you know, thrilled to have you on to, to talk a little bit about that. Um, about uh, applied human factors in medical de- device design. So, you know, uh, congratulations on on the new book, and and um, you know, thrilled to be able to talk to you about it today. Oh, thank you, thank you. It was a, a labor of love, and I'm perception is out there, and I I look forward to sharing it. Um, so, uh, what do you want to know about this book that that's come out that every that everyone has eagerly waited for? Right, that's a that that is what we've heard that it's been um, eagerly awaited for. Well, I guess the first thing is, uh, what is the book a, about initially? Sure. So the book's titled "Applied Human Factors in Medical Device Design," and it really started with a recognition um, a couple of years back with lots of different people, clients, uh, colleagues about all of the new human factors guidances that were coming out between the FDA, between MHRA out in the UK, um, the IEC, and looking and saying, well, how do we, how do we understand how this all fits together? And um, on the committee, you know, I'm co-chair of the AMI committee, so I have a little bit of an, an in in regard to what's coming down the pike. And we were in the midst of revising AT75. And when I was thinking about all of this and, and, and talking about um, all of the various references and we were going through and looking for different references to update HE75, it dawned on me that there wasn't a comprehensive methodology. How do I actually apply it? How does it apply to me? Give me examples, resource that was available for people to use. And there were all of these standards that were coming out and their standards on software, their standards just between combination products, there's new standards. So really it can become very, very confusing and very, very muddled. So really it came about to just clear that air and to provide um, what's going on today. Can I get it under one little, under one under one resource that will point me in the direction and highlight the major areas within the practice of human factors. That sounds like a huge undertaking um, to, <laughs> to be able to take all that and condense it down and that into into just 
one single resource. How, uh, how are you able to, to do that and, and uh, bite off the chunks at a time? Well, I have some very, very good friends and very, very good contributors. Um, so that, so that Amy, the Association for Advancement of, or, of Instrumentation, they have a faculty that teaches our human factor courses. And while we are putting together these courses, we always have to have the material. And so my, I leaned a bit upon that um, faculty committee to help organize and make this content be something that, that we would all want to share within those courses. So it wouldn't have happened if I didn't have those people to contribute. And, um, and then because this book was published by Elsevier, Elsevier is located in the UK and they're known as an international academic powerhouse when it comes to textbooks. Um, it traditionally is very US centric, but most of the product designs that we design um, are going to be global and globally considered. So I reached across the pond and found a couple of contributors that happen to reside within the UK that are very well respected over there. And so it was really a matter of just gathering the right people with the right motivations, and then just a little bit of tenacity and a little bit of uh, perseverance and a year and a half later, then we, we put together a nice product, I think. Well, it doesn't sound like it was a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'm sure it was blood, sweat and tears went into, a little, into just about everything, no? That is true. So, um, and, and I can tell you a little bit about um, the debates that we had. So, you know, when we look at the practice of human factors, you can look at it from um, what are all of the methods that you might have within your toolbox and that, uh, your human factors toolbox. And, and depending upon the education of the person that's responsible for human factors, you have different takes on it. And, and that's where in that upfront part of it, that's where there's a little bit uh, murky area, a little murky water. So what we did was we tried to take, um, and this is again working with that faculty committee, we had many conversations of how do I break it down into sections that are chunks of within that design process that are manageable that I could readily implement. Mm -hmm. So for example, we know people go out and do research and there's another book that um, I, put, I put out in 2015 called Contextual Inquiry and Medical Device Design. That's all about upfront discovery and research. And task analysis is one of those fundamental, um, one of those fundamental human service tools that we use for so many things. So we focused on everything from details down to how do I use those methods? How do I then apply that in our product design? Um, when you look at risk control, Everything says do it by design, but what does it mean to put human factors in design? So oftentimes people think of um, human factors as just testing, which is also one of those ways that you think, well, if I'm testing it, it has to be with the users, but how do I know how to test without users? And what if I don't have access to users? Or it's an innovative product that's never been out there before, so I don't have any users to, to actually test it on for right now. Mm -hmm. um, all the way through risk analysis um, and then reporting. So we really took a look at all of the various tools that were available to us and organized it in a logical manner. We ended up with seven, diff seven different sections and, um, and then just took a deep dive as briefly as we could and pointed to good references for each one of those chapters and each one of those sections.
So it was a bit of moving around and organization and orchestration of content, orchestration of authors. Um, Cause you know, life happens in the middle of this too, right? So as you're, right. as you're sitting down to write something, you know, everyone gets busy with work, everyone gets busy with family and, um, you know, elderly parents, health issues. So, you know, those, those were all of the, you know, the natural challenges that come with an undertaking such as this. Yeah, no kidding. I, I know you, you dealt with some, you know, personal challenges through, through that time. And so, you know, I got to imagine that one of the most difficult pieces was deciding and figuring out, you know, uh, what goes where and, and how to break it down. No. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Um, and then, and there's a lot of really, really good, strong references out there. So, you know, for example, there's, um, there's an entire book that was written by Michael Wicklin on, on root cause analysis. Um, that's a great resource. Um, how can this book, you know, portray and relate to other books and other methodologies? There's the Handbook of Human Factors that, that's also out there. So when we look at how does this fit within the puzzle of all of our available resources, it's really pointing to what do I need to look at when I look at those other resources or those other standards and guidances and do I even know that they exist? Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes you don't even know that, that they exist. And then that was super helpful when we did sit down to write because we had such rich information to make it succinct and then to provide case examples within that you could say, oh, in this instance, this was the decision-making um, and I think one of the interesting part of it that I found was there wasn't a lot of information on strategy and planning for human factors. You know, human factors, it hasn't until recent that human factors has been, I, I no longer have a choice. I, I have to do some type of usability. Um, but we're not, we're less mature in what does that really look like? What mm -hmm. does that, how do I know that it's too much or it's not enough? And certainly when you get down to the end, you don't want to scramble to try and come up with it because you're already ready for launch and you're getting ready to submit. So there were, um, you know, a lot of using those resources to serve as a guide and then turning it around and making it into chunks of information that are just, uh, just enough, but not too over the top. So how did you go about, uh, recruiting, if you will, folks to help, you know, you, you're an author on this, on this project and yeah. book, as well as the, yeah. as well as an editor. So how did you recruit, uh, some other experts to join you in this venture? Sure. That's a great question. Um, some of them, I, a lot of them, I have worked with them in the past on the committee. So they also serve on the Amy human engineering committee. Um, and, um, and I reached out to them and they were crazy and they said, yes, I must have caught a very good week moment. Um, you know, <laughs> there's Agilis Consulting. Agilis Consulting came in and, and they've got several that was led by Melissa Lemke. Um, you know, I, I wrote, there's 21 chapters in all. Um, I think I have responsibility for a little bit more than half of them. And then Melissa Lemke has responsibility for the next large chunk. Um, where things were uh, under her direction. And then um, we've got um, Tim Reeves. Um, that's another an another name that you'll see in, in the book. He was also responsible for uh, several chapters. Um, so it was, uh, it was really a matter of 
um, asking the right people at the right time, having enough conversations, but not too, too frequently where we couldn't get the work done. Um, and then, of course, as with any large project, deadlines make things happen. So there was a fair amount of hounding that happened to try and get things done to make sure that we were meeting the, the publisher deadline. Well, speaking of, of hounding and, and the challenges, I, you know, one of the things that I find is, a, you know, I write, but it's different, um, is the blank screen in front of me. How did you overcome <laughs> uh, some of those challenges when you know, lifeless throwing your curveballs? Great question. Um, the blank page is super difficult to overcome. I don't know unless, um, I have a very good friend who is a journalism um, professor and, and she loves to write. And she's the only person I know that wakes up in the morning and just lives for words and has an amazing vocabulary. And she is my idol in regards to writing, but no one wakes up in the morning and thinks, geez, it's a great day to write a book chapter on no new share and post-market surveillance. It's just not something that you would you end up going, I live for that. That's amazing. But right. it's something that's necessary and something that has to be done. Um, so what I started to do with a lot of the authors, and some of them were a little bit intimidated to share that what they had written because they were thinking, you know, you always judge harsher than you think it is. And I would say just if you have 10 minutes, write a couple of words because writing those few words down is better than writing nothing for the day. And even if it's just gobbledygook, you can always delete it, but you're going to have thoughts as you come across your day. So write them down. And I kept a notebook with myself um, to help keep myself directed and different ideas. And as I would attend conferences, have client meetings, I had a separate notebook that had my, my book book notebook. And I would write down different ideas, or if I was near one of my colleagues, human factors professionals, I would say, hey, how do you integrate contextual inquiry? How, how do you apply, how do you make sure that human factors gets in design? And I would just start to interview them, which would then give me the rich information that I could turn around. And when I sat in front of the computer, I at least had something with which to motivate myself to, to just write about. And I just took it as an outline and a paragraph and really one word at a time. So it, it is a, a daunting process to think about just sitting down to write a book chapter because I don't know if it's, it's inherent to anybody that's been <laughs> trained in a creative world. Right. I, I go back to the, the, the word intimidation. I feel like sometimes that is the biggest thing to overcome is that, that blank page staring you right down. Cause, cause it's, there's no, there's nothing else, right? It's just you and the, and the screen. So, yeah. um, so what other challenges did you face uh, on the journey to completing the book? Well, I think, you know, when you get down into methodologies, for example, there's one chapter in the book where it's talking about, um, Juristic analysis, expert reviews, cognitive walkthroughs, that chapter in particular, and sorting out what literature says, because again, there's that academic slant to myself. So, sorting out what literature says is supposed to be done, and this is true for everything, versus what's done in reality, they weren't always jiving with one another. And there were things that, you know, you want to be very accurate and represent the intent of what is true to improving product design. And that became, you know, just sort of piecing out all of those details and then having enough reviews within the faculty team to 
say, is this really what you do? Um, and external of it that, you know, is this representing it accurately? Um, so it wasn't necessarily a challenge as much as it was a process that took a little bit of time, more time than I fully appreciated at the start of the, of the um, process. And, and I think that's probably true of everyone. If we had 24 hours, 24 more hours to every single project, I think we'd always be happy. Um, but it was interesting though to learn about how practice is a little bit different than literature, even though the people that I that are writing the literature, and I'm by literature I mean by the books, the peer-reviewed literature that's available, um, it, it's it's you know a little bit different. It's got a little subtle nuance to it, and um, just sorting out that there isn't necessarily one way to do it. This is a way, mm -hmm. um, and making sure that it's clear that this is not the end all be all, but this is an approach that has worked in the past. Sure. Uh, well, so when you, you know, got the information back and uh, started putting it, it together, you know, did it flow really easily or, you know, was it difficult to kind of decipher and figure out what's going to go where? Um, once we had, it took us about six months, the faculty team, it took about six months for us to come up with the outline. And then um, there were two chapters that were not on our original outline. And that, that, those two chapters were designing combination products and evaluating combination products. And we didn't have those pulled out. And what had happened was when we looked at the content that we really needed to highlight about nascent products, and it's such a big thrust area for human factors practice that it's a little bit different to evaluate and to design a combination product than it is, say, to design a piece of diagnostic equipment. They, they are just completely different. You have more players and, uh, or potentially more players that would be involved. So I think we, had, we didn't have any major shifts in our section as much as we had, oh, there's this, this chapter is just really, really enormous, and can I break it down into um, a little bit more detail if I change it and, and, and keep things consistent? Well, give us a little, you know, behind the scenes, uh, you know, insight as to how it came about. What were, what were some surprises that you didn't expect that, that came up um, as you put this project together? Um, surprises that I didn't expect. Um, I did not expect to find so much literature on um, what I would call human factors of patient safety and human factors of product design mm -hmm. um, and to sort, to, to, to sort through those. There's a tremendous body of literature um, and, and the book touches on patient safety in the introduction, there's a tremendous amount of literature that talks about the role and responsibility of the healthcare provider themselves, the patient themselves, and, and, and towards their own patient safety and how the communication of the, of the practice of the hospital and how that plays a role, which is very, very fascinating. So one surprise was that that could have been a book in and of itself and sort of slicing out where does it impact product design and where does it impact overall delivery of care. So that certainly was a surprise um, to me. I had a little bit of an inkling that that would be the case, but I, I was a bit overwhelmed when I started to look through that literature uh, to, to, to discover what's relevant and what's not relevant for the purposes of, of medical device design. Mm -hmm. um, and another surprise that I had was um, just the variability in practice. 
um, if I, I, and I think that's probably healthy. Oh, no, I think it is healthy. Um, it makes it the world much more interesting as varied as medical devices are themselves. Yeah. So too is the practice of, of human factors. And, you know, I think the only wrong way would be not to do it. Um, <laughs> that would be the wrong way. And then right. I think you have better, better or worse from there. Um, but that was, that was certainly um, an interesting debate to get into with um, with the various colleagues, and um, you, you know, I, I mentioned that chapter on heuristic evaluation. It, it spanned the gamut of you know heuristic evaluation just being rules with which we evaluate overall usability. Well, how many rules do you have? Do you have ten, which is Nielsen's ten, or do you have fourteen, or do you have a hundred? How do you determine what they are? There's just a, it's an amazing degree of variability between uh, between practices. Was that so? Do you think that ended up becoming more of a challenge more than a surprise to overcome and figure out how you're going to, you know, follow one way or another? Um, yes, yeah, so that's certainly both because again, you wanted to provide that flexibility and practice. Um, so I think, um, and, and another example would be task analysis that. Does task analysis start with only analyzing the tasks and breaking it down into steps, or does it also include a bit of risk analysis? So you could take each task and then go, what are the risks with it, which are the natural next steps to it? So drawing those lines. And then in um, peer review, there were discussions about, well, I don't do it like that. And so does that translate to that should be removed, or should, does that translate into it should stay? So, you know, you're hitting the nail on the head when you think, oh, you know, where, where, what's the gray fuzzy lines and how do I draw a line? Did, uh, so with doing this with so many colleagues and, and kind of, you know, I'm going to say chefs in the kitchen, um, did it, did it, uh, you know, expand your own knowledge? Um, or oh, did, absolutely. What did, what kind of things did you learn coming out of it uh, that you, you know, I feel like that'd be something that would be a surprise too with, with, um, with all these you know, incredible ways of approaching, you know, these, these very specific topics, uh, all, all having previously experienced success, you know, uh, has it, has it shown, has it improved your line of work? Absolutely. Um, without it, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yeah, I, 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 I would say that, um, that was one of the motivations for personally that I had for, um, putting the book together and getting the authors is that I really love to learn. Mm -hmm. And I love to learn and I love to learn different approaches that there's not one way to skin the cat. There's not one way to, to, to do this practice. And I also wanted to do the, the literature reviews to understand what does, um, you know, again, going back to that academic plan, what are you doing? Um, and I, and I, I have to, um, I have to credit my my PhD advisor that love of going through what is the background so that you make sure that you're building on that knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I had had ideas in my head of what I thought they were, and I would write down my notes of what do I think that everything should be, and that's what I was training our team and our staff at HF to do, and looking at the literature, and now I can walk away, and one of the greatest things that I have now is a whole portfolio of templates. So if you were to ask me for a particular type of evaluation, I have a template that I can follow. I have an example with which I can start from 
that just makes us much more efficient. Um, and then I have different examples with which I can pull, draw on to say, well, this product design, this worked for my colleague in this manner, maybe it'll work for me or how can I build? And then because I've engaged those colleagues in the conversation, I, I, I am positive that the exchange where if I don't know something, I can call them and we can have that debate of how, you know, that assistance to say, how would you handle this? And, and what, what can we do to solve this problem? Because it isn't a matter of um, edging out people for work. It's a matter of making sure that we are true to making the best product design. Right. And that was, that was definitely a, a, a goal. Well, that is really exciting to hear, you know, so many unique things coming out of a project like this. It, you know, it seems, you know, on the surface, like a pretty straightforward endeavor. And, you know, you hate to say like a, a straight line from beginning to end, but, you know, we all know that uh, the road to success is filled with bumps and bruises along the way. And so I am pretty excited <laughs> <laughs> to announce that, we will be doing a seven-part series to follow the uh, the the sections of the book um, over the you know you know next uh, few weeks or so, uh, and include some of the other authors. So um, I hope you don't mind me announcing that on, on this podcast, but it is uh, it is pretty exciting. So you know where can people find um, find the book and and go to purchase. Sure, they can go to Amazon and you can just, if you type in a um, applied human factor for medical devices, it'll come up or medical device human factors, it'll come up there. It's also available on Elsevier's website, mm -hmm. um, but Amazon's probably your best bet and it's available both in um, print as well as in electronic form. Fantastic. Well, we will be doing this again shortly on, on section one and covering, you know, the basics of, of human factors um, and then proceed all the way through the book with, you know, various authors and contributors um, to join us along the way. So for Mary Beth Privatera and my name is Justin Starbird. Thank you for joining us on this episode of HSDNA. This has been the latest episode of the HSDNA podcast. On behalf of our guests today and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. As always, to listen to other episodes of HSDNA, go to hs-design.com and scroll over the HSDNA tab on our menu. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>